Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm a People's Choice Podcast Award-nominated host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach, and this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, gain awareness around mental health and spirituality, and own your right to have a dream and take up space. Today, I'll be talking with a creative life coach who will share step-by-step tools on how to find the purpose behind your passion, find value outside of the work you produce, plus he'll share a unique visualization tip that will help you manifest your dreams. It's honestly amazing. But before that, I want to ask you a favor. If you love this show and it has helped you, please consider leaving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps bring visibility to the show, push it up the charts, and connect with more creatives. Plus, I read every single one. Also consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso and I will repost to share my gratitude. Now to the guest. His name is Jeff Lizowitz, and he's a life coach for creatives of all types, including writers, artists, musicians, songwriters, filmmakers, and many others. As you may expect, Jeff himself is a multi-passionate creative. He's an award-winning musician and producer, writer, songwriting professor, and filmmaker. He's also the author of the critically acclaimed book, Not Effing Around. The book is a guide to help creatives get their dream off the ground, and it offers tons of tangible tools and tips, many of which you'll hear today on the podcast. What I love about Jeff is his deep understanding of the connection between spirituality and creativity. He and I share the perspective that unleashing creativity has the power to heal suffering in the world because it is the most powerful way that we can truly see each other. He talks about how meditation, visualization, and talking to your inner critic, or as he calls it, the IC, aka the ick, can help you connect to your higher self and ultimately realize your dreams. This was such an insightful conversation with so many takeaways and tools. I walked away with so much knowledge and honestly just feeling at peace with myself after talking to Jeff. And I can't wait for you to feel the same thing. So now here he is, the great Jeff Lizowitz. Jeff, I'm so honored you're here. I'm so grateful that you too are a person who is an ambassador to creativity and helping people put their hearts into the world. So thank you for being on Unleash Your Inner Creative. You truly deserve to be here. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. So much fun. It's like, it's just great to talk with someone who's cut from the same cloth. And you have an incredible journey. You've written an incredible book with tons of tools for creatives on how to get out of their own way, get unblocked and go for it. But before we get to that, I want to talk about your own creative journey. I want to know what got you up to this point? Like what were the steps? What were the creative heartbreaks? I know this is a big question, but can you take us through a little bit of your path? (laughs) I sure can. Uh, We'll be skipping lots of pieces, but we'll (laughs) get to the meat and the bones. Well, when I was a little kid, I was sort of like the weird friendless kid. I don't know if you or any of your audience can relate to that, but, you know, just kind of playing by myself and, you know, just creating worlds and stuff like that. When I was about maybe eight or nine years old, I went to sleepaway camp in Pennsylvania where I grew up and it was the late seventies, right? And there was an empty cabin. So a counselor brought his drum kit up, a big 70s stereo and a couple boxes of records. And back then the music that was happening was like Zeppelin and the Stones and Tom Petty and Bowie. So this guy would put those records, you know, on the turntable and play the drums. And I, as a little kid, would sit maybe 30 or 40 feet away under this tree. And, you know, the sun was going down and the fireflies were coming out. And I would listen to this guy play the drums. And I was like mesmerized. Wow. Then one day he comes out on the porch and he sees me sitting there and he's like, hey, kid, come here. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He's like, come on in. Do you want to come on in and check this out? And I'm like, yeah. So I go into this little cabin and he puts on the Who song, Won't Get Fooled Again, which is like a major rocker. And this guy just bangs the drums and my little heart is just exploded. Mm. So it wasn't too much longer when I was a teenager and I'd started playing guitar and I was into the music and all this and that. You know, your parents ask you when you're a teenager, what do you think you might want to be when you grow up? You know, I kind of didn't really know for a while. And then one day it just dawned on me. Well, of course, I want to be a rock star. 
Yeah. And as you might suspect, the parents were like, oh, God, no, please, like, pick a real job for once in your life. How did you deal with that as a kid? Did they actually react that way in the moment? Yes. It was a heartbreaker and maybe one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And here's why. A heartbreaker because you want, you know, your parents obviously to support you. And they did in ways for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. They bought me a guitar. They took me to lessons and stuff like that. But parents are really about, you know, protecting their kids. Right. And they only do not just parents. Everybody only does or suggests things that they know. Right. So, you know, they have straight jobs. So they're like, how about you get a job, you know, with health insurance, you know, something like that. So there was a lot of friction for a long time. Thank goodness for me, I have, and at that time was getting into punk rock. I never really loved the music, but I loved the ethos. Some of the major tenets of punk rock, one of them is fuck authority. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Lauren's like, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's a good one when you're a teenager. As I matured, I changed that to question authority. Okay. So it's not a great idea just to, you know, throw everything out that any authority figure says, but definitely to question it. Yeah. I agree with that. So I continued on this path of pursuing music up through my 20s. And in my early 30s, I started making money. I won a big award, Best Independent Electronic Artist in the World. What? Oh, Jeff. I started getting my music on all kinds of TV shows, MTV and HBO and all this stuff. And I started, you know, making money. And were you doing that all independently at the time? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's impressive. So for anyone that doesn't understand, like usually doing those things requires some huge machine behind you. So that really shows Jeff's drive that you were able to just go out, pitch yourself to these music supervisors, which is the people who like select music for film and TV um, without a publishing house or a manager, you were pushing yourself completely. It was insane. Yeah, that is insane. (laughs) It's incredible. But it, but it did work at least part of the time. So, but here's the thing with the parents that is really interesting and was, and was sort of a real blessing. And that is after the money started coming in, I talked to my parents about it, right? And here's what they said. My mom said, you know, we're really proud of you for not listening to us Mm. and for following your truth. And I was like, wow, okay, I get it. So that was a huge moment for me with my music, you know, just kind of getting that flipping around from the parents. But in the meantime, you know, I was a music journalist. I moved to Seattle. I wrote, a, I worked on a little thing in the mid nineties called a website that no one had heard of uh, about all the grunge bands and stuff over here. Um, I do photography. I've made films. I'm a screenwriter, but I also am really into psychology. Like what is making us who we are and do, you know, our behaviors. So I've always been fascinated by that. And I started practicing. I trained and practiced something called NLP neuro-linguistic repatterning, Mm. which is sort of fringy kind of psychology that helps people to untangle their subconscious blocks, okay? Because the real deal is most, and I'm definitely going to say most of what drives us is internal. It's subconscious. You don't even know what is going on, why you're making these choices, why you're doing the same dumb thing 400 times in a row, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I took the NLP and my love for creativity and helping people and, you know, just tuning in to the universe and all this kind of stuff. And I just kind of ended up writing the book and I teach songwriting and I mean, it goes on and on. I love it. I mean, you are a true multi-hyphenate. I, I love that too, because I am myself and I'm curious how you find time to balance it all and find focus. I know that's the eternal question for me. And also, how do you deal with people being like, so what do you do? (laughs) My least favorite question. What do you do? I do it all. Check the resume, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing about the resume is all of your power and passion and skills can't possibly come through on a resume. Right. Right. That's the thing with a a resume. The whole concept is dumb it down, right? 
Yeah, with bullet points. <laughs> with bullet points. It's like, I am large, I contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman once said. So how do you find that balance? Well, you know, most people live in a world where there's a financial reality. You got to pay the rent, as they say. So however you can do that, you're going to need to do that. It has to be a priority. The question really is, are you going to work within your creative field and perhaps get paid less? Or do you have some kind of skill or knowledge or something where you can get paid more in a faster time where you can then spend more time in your own personal creativity? And there's certainly pros and cons to both of those. I knew a guy once who was this, uh, this great drummer. He was also a double PhD. He got a job working for Boeing, the airplane company, designing the next generation of air traffic control. This guy was making bank, and I'm talking about bank. And in his house, he had this jam space, all these drums, tons of studio equipment, all this stuff. And I was like, wow, I'm like scratching it on the street to try <laughs> to get an ex-placement and to get a gig or whatever. You know, and you kind of went that route. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, I figure I can do the day job, make my money, and then I can have access to whatever kind of creative thing I need or want, whether it's a studio or hiring musicians or, or whatever. So I think those are the two sort of main paths. The trick is not to get sucked into the concept of I have to make more money than I have to make. America is big on make as much money as you can, get all bloody doing it, all this and that. But the truth is, if you understand how much money you need to make in a month and you can make that and you want to pursue some kind of creative goal, well, you can basically stop when you hit that goal, the financial goal. Yeah. You know, and you talk about that in your book. Like I was thinking about how capitalism keeps so many people from pursuing their dreams. But when you put it very logically like that, when you actually look at what you need versus whatever you think you need or whatever you want, you have a lot more options to do what you want to do. It's absolutely true. And people get very confused on this. I don't have enough time, you know, because of my job, I have to work so many hours. But really, oops, I just spent, you know, $15,000 on that vacation. Okay, so really, you did not need to make that $15,000 to pay for that vacation if you want to use essentially the time that you would have used to make that money to work on your book. Right. Right. It's just like, is it a vacation or do you want to do like hundreds of hours, thousands even of hours on your creative pursuit? Yeah. And, you know, something else you talk about in the book that like one of my favorite musicians, Mike Posner, talks about is like the world wants us to forget that we're going to die, because if we forget that we're going to die, then we also forget to live and that we have a finite amount of time on this earth and that we should really be doing what we want to do and being our authentic selves as much of the time as we possibly can. Why, in your opinion, is it so vital that we remember our own mortality in order to pursue our creative life? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. I mean, that's awesome. And it's totally true. Nobody likes to think that they have an expiration date, but we all do. And this COVID thing has really put that in our faces. Right. So when you understand that this game of life or whatever you want to call it, your life does not go on forever. You could live another 30 years. You could get run over by the bus tomorrow. It puts a constraint, a conscious constraint on your time, on your experience. So then the question is, well, what do you want to experience? If you only have so much time, what do you want to do with that time? Very few people are going to say, well, I want to work at my stupid job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I can take a two week break and, you know, and then do it again for the next 40 years. I mean, it's just, just so funny because when you say it like that, it's just so clear and people need to hear that. Sometimes we just act like cogs in a machine. And I realized recently, Jeff, and I'm sure you know this too, like I'm starting to step out and do like more side hustle work. And I'm like, oh, I get to make the rules of my life. I can actually say what I want 
and then get that, you know, like even small things, like there was somebody that I was supposed to do a zoom with. And I honestly, I'm sick of doing zoom. I wanted to have a phone call. And I was like, I could just say, (laughs) I want to have a phone call. I'm exhausted from zooms. Let's do a phone call, you know, and we forget that we have choices. So much of the time we have choice. We do. And, and thank you for saying that. That is amazing. So what happens in the world around our heads and our consciousness is there are many powerful forces that influence us. You've got your family, you've got your peers, you've got media, marketing, government, education, all that kind of stuff is constantly barraging you with ideas of who you should be the white picket fence, right? That kind of thing. Hey, if you like white picket fences, go for it. Knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. But if you would rather, you know, scribble poetry on the wall at three in the morning, you know, go for that. So anyway, you have all these forces and some of these forces hopefully are at least trying to be for your personal good. Hopefully your family and your friends and your teachers, you know, they're, they're for you. That doesn't mean they've got it right. They don't mean they understand you, right? Or know really what's best for you, but at least there's hopefully that intention. The rest of it, you know, marketing, media, that stuff, that does, does not care at all about your well-being. Yeah. And you talk about the inner critic in the book, or as you call it, the ick. <laughs> I love that. And how these, the, the voice of the inner critic is usually voices from people in your past repurposed as your own voice. Can you share your own journey with your own inner critic? And I would love for you to also go through the tool you share in the book on how to really deal with it and kind of confront it. Sure. So the inner critic is a part of us that is built in and it's there for a good reason, right? It is there to keep us safe, essentially, right? Back in the day, and I'm talking way back in the day, or running around in little tribes or villages, if you did something remarkably stupid, you would get booted from the community. And if that happens, you would die. There's no way for a human to live by themselves in the woods out there in the whatever for too long. So that is why this is built into us. However, we in the modern world have exaggerated its voice and its power right? When we feel this inner critic coming up, you know, should I send my screenplay to this producer? The inner critic comes up. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. It's not the right market, you know, whatever these things are. And it can feel like the end of the world. It can feel like, geez, I'm going to get booted from the village. (laughs) Yeah. But the fact of the matter is in most situations where the inner critic comes around, either you're going to get negative feedback like uh no thanks get lost okay fine or more likely no feedback at all (laughs) you're just being ignored by you know whatever person or situation this is or you get the good news now even if it's the bad news it is not life-threatening right if somebody in power or or whatever the situation is tells you you stink well you know tough luck. It might hurt, but you also might get something good out of it. If they tell you, you stink and here's why, if they happen to know what they're talking about, you can use that to become better at whatever you're doing. It's, you know, it's sort of another part of my book there. Fail fast is one of the, one of the chapters. So failure is like for creatives and really for everybody, ah, failure. But If you reframe failure, if you look at failure in a different way, it's actually your best friend. Okay. So failure, if we change the word failure to feedback. Mm. Okay. So you do, you have an intention, you take the action and it doesn't work the way you want it to go. Instead of calling it failure or even worse, calling yourself a failure because that's a self identity and that is going to continue to screw you up in the future. Instead of doing that, say, well, what can I learn from this experience? And you ask every possible question that you can think of from every perspective, every direction, 
and learn as much as you can. Well, maybe I could have done that better. Hmm, the marketing in that side could have been more interesting. You know, X, Y, Z, all these kinds of things. You take all that information, you iterate, you know, you develop it to the next level and you do it again. You put it out, shine it, do whatever you're doing. Again, what's going to happen? It's going to be successful, semi-successful or more feedback, right? And all you literally what you have to do is ask those questions, think about it, take a step back and move forward again in a better, more focused direction. And every single creative business person, athlete, anybody who's doing anything significant goes through this process. It doesn't mean they like it, right? Everybody would love to go out and, you know, hit the home run on the first shot. Yeah. But, you know, Emily, Emily, my associate producer and I were talking about that last night. And, you know, when I first moved to LA, all I wanted to do was act, but I didn't succeed at that right away, you know, and because of that, I learned I was a songwriter and I learned I was a podcaster and I learned I was a producer and I learned I could do public speaking. Like all these things came out of that, what someone could have labeled as a failure, but I really think failure only comes if you give up on your dream, like, cause then it's the end of something. But if you, you learn from it and like, and to your point, keep iterating, then it is just feedback. But I know that there's someone listening right now who has maybe deemed themselves a failure or who has listened to somebody else's input into their lives and said, I'm a failure. If they're so entrenched in that thought process and that feedback for themselves from all your, your work and from your training in psychology, how can they start to step out of that? Mm -hmm. So a great question. So the first thing is to realize once again, that the inner critic, although it seems like your enemy, it is your ally and it is trying to help you. Okay. So this is, this is like Jedi level consciousness, right? Because it's hard to love your enemy. It's really hard. But we don't want to go to the dark side of the force. <laughs> exactly. I will sprinkle in Star Wars references <laughs> here and there. I know. I just watched all of them for the first time and I'm fully obsessed. So you're just preaching to the right audience right now. Okay, Obi-Wan, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Take me there, Luke. Okay. So understanding that this, you know, in a bigger sense is really trying to help you, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, understanding that the inner critic is a part of you. So when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, we do an exercise where we break down the different psychological parts of the person. Mm. Okay. The inner critic is going to be one of those parts. The inner critic and all of our parts generally make some sort of almost contract or agreement with the higher self, with the executive self. And these contracts are, are created generally like before you're six years old. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Except, oops, I'm 35 and I'm still running the thing that I promised myself when I was five. Right. It doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. So you can get into a sort of meditative state, a quiet state, or maybe do this through writing or through painting or singing or whatever your thing is really. And tap into this a little bit and start to talk to your inner critic with love, right? So from there, the love kind of breaks this down and kind of changes the energy of this thing. Another thing you can do is speak directly to your inner critic from your higher or more executive self and be like, thank you for your service to me. I understand what you're doing, what you have done, and I'm in charge here. So I would only appreciate you speaking up when I ask you for this, right? And this sounds a little weird, especially in the conscious realm, you know, but if you can get into the subconscious, this stuff will blow your freaking mind with its power. I mean, I've done the, these exercises first on with myself and with plenty of clients. And, you know, it's like, it's a shock to your nervous system. It's like your whole being can reset. So it, it can be really powerful. That sounds nice. <laughs> I want to reset my being. <laughs> Let's reset our beings. Um, 
And you also are very open about mental health. In the book, you talk about depression, something so many people who have committed to creative life deal with. How did acknowledging your own mental health and some of the struggles you've gone through affect and strengthen your creative journey? Yeah. So we all go through tough times in life. Nobody gets a totally smooth ride. And of course, some people, you know, have very tough times. It affects our mental health. So we want to do everything we can to be healthy. And there's plenty of ways besides creativity to do that, of course. Getting good exercise, sleep, meditation, all those kinds of things are great. However, in my experience, and after achieving some levels of success in a bunch of different fields, I have realized that at its best, creativity is a way for us to be seen, expressed, healed, and connected. So to be seen, we all have this, this base need to be seen, but out in the world, I don't believe most of us are fully seen. From, you know, you're walking down the city street or on the freeway or on the internet, you're basically anonymous. Then you get a little bit closer in, and these are maybe your acquaintances, your kind of not so close friends. They kind of get you, they kind of see you, but maybe not really so much, and they probably don't really care that much either. Then you've got your close people. Those are your romantic partners, your kids, your parents, your really good friends. Hopefully they see you and get you but it's possible that they don't see and understand all of you. So there's the scene part. What does it mean to be expressed? Well, in my definition, it's simply moving from the potential to the actual. So think of the dancer on Saturday night. She's sitting in the corner, the disco ball spinning, the music is thumping, but in that moment, she's sitting in the corner. As soon as she gets out there on the floor, starts shaking it, she is now expressed as a dancer. Same thing for a poet, right? A poet with a pile of poems on the desk. Hey, that's great. You wrote a bunch of poems, but you are not being expressed as a poet until you are writing poetry. So that's the express part. So what is the healing aspect? Well, it's my belief and my philosophy, I suppose, that when we create from a deeply authentic place, right? Really tapping into our truth and having the courage to find that vulnerability and then express it in some way, whether it's writing or acting or whatever it is, there is some kind of catharsis. There is a letting go, a resolution. And, you know, this can be letting go of darkness and trauma and those kinds of things. And there's certainly a million songs and books and stories about that. But it's also really anything. So if you think of a love song, right? Where is the healing in a love song? I would say the healing comes from letting go of all the previous loneliness and despair and hopelessness Mm. that may have been there. And you're singing the song about the love you have now. Great, but it's still a healing. So here's where it gets cool. When you are seen expressed authentically and healed, through your creativity, you then give your gift to the world. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about Madison Square Garden or, you know, some HBO show or something like that. I'm talking about any audience, one person even. When you are seen, expressed, and healed, you give your gift to the world. That is when you become the gift because you show others that they can be seen, expressed, and healed. And this creates a completely different concept of what art and creativity is about. It's not just, oh, this is cool, or this is fun, or, you know, whatever. This is like, we are seeing each other and connecting on deep human levels through books, through songs, through movies, through dance, through anything creative. And, you know, if you look out at the world, one of the biggest problems we have is simply that so many people do not feel seen. Mm. Yeah. My big thing that I'm always saying is repressed creativity is the cause of so much of the world's suffering. And I truly believe that like most people I know who are dealing with some sort of dark night of the soul are repressed 
creatively in some way. Yeah. That brought tears to my eyes. And it made me think about another thing you talk about, which is finding your why. And that sometimes, you know, you want something, but you don't know why you want it. Why is finding your why so important? And how do you find it? Very, very good question. So it is so true to understand what really drives us. When you really get that, you will tap in to so much more passion and purpose and energy. Okay. Because most of us run around most of the time on some degree of autopilot. I'm doing it because, you know, my mom told me to. I'm doing it because my friend said it was a good idea. I'm doing it because I've always done it. Right. Same thing with your creativity. Why are you pursuing dance? What is really going on there? What is really driving this? So how do you do this? Well, it's, it's both simple, but it's not easy. Okay. And it is literally asking the question first, you need to still yourself. So don't be doing this, you know, while you're in the middle of the day, take some breaths, meditate. I'm a huge fan of the meditation as you probably picked up. So it's a meditation, get into that quiet space where your brain turns down. We all love our brains where they're all so smart and, you know, amazing. And that's great. But our brain is not the only part of us. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. There's this, this part in the book that I love where you're like, we're just these people walking or like we're these animals walking around with brains that are too big or something. It made me laugh so hard, but it's true. It's like one of my mentors always said to me, less think more do. And it's so true because it usually is simple. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it usually is simple. Right. So along with the do, I would also add the feel, mm. feel what's going on. We in, mo- in the modern world love to th- try to think our way out of everything. But the truth is you got to feel it. When you, when you feel the truth, you don't have to think about it because you know it. And do you f- mean feel like feel emotionally, feel in your body somewhere? Like, what do you mean when you say feel? Feel the truth in your heart, in your body, in your whole being. And, and it's a balance. It's in your mind too. But what I'm, what I'm really trying to say is so many people run around with their brain doing 98% of the job where it's like, Hey, wait a minute. If you turn that thing down, if you take some deep breaths, if you still yourself for a while, you will access consciousness, which is different than thinking. Okay. Consciousness is like, you know, this energy of knowledge and wisdom and interconnectedness. When you tap into that, it bypasses bigger than thinking, right? So if you can get into that, you will understand in a a more deep way what your truth is and how to step forward appropriately. So to get back to your question with the why, we want to get into that quiet space, right? Once we got that, you ask yourself the one word question, Jeff's favorite question, why? And you're going to come up with an answer. Okay. Let me tell you that answer is not the answer. (laughs) Love that for us. Yeah. I have done, you know, this work with zillions of people and never has the first answer been the truth, the whole truth. So here's the deal. So you get into that quiet space, you ask the why you get the answer. And then you ask why again, and you're going to get in deeper. And then you're going to ask why again, as many times as it takes, it usually takes somewhere between three and five times until you feel a deep resonance within yourself. Like, oh, uh that's the truth. It's like, here's the thing. It's something that you already know. It's already inside you. You just don't know you know it. When you say deep resonance, because some people are very literal, like, what is that feeling? If you had to describe it, is it just like a deep, like knowing in your gut? Is it chills? Is it tears? Like, should it be that extreme? It certainly can be. I think everyone in ways is unique. We're all very similar in a lot of ways too, but we're all unique in ways. So, you know, I would ask yourself, 
how do you know when you really know something? Oh, I get shivers. Like, you know, that that person said this and I got shivers. Like, okay, well, then maybe shivers is your, you know, your little tell. Or maybe it's something else. So the quieter you can get and the deeper you can get, the closer you can get to that truth of the why. Once you have that, you understand what is driving you. And then you can decide and think about how to go there. So like with your story, Lauren, you were like, you know, I want to be an actress. Okay. That's not coming together. You go in deep and perhaps, and I'm just guessing your, you know, your deep why is to live a fuller life, to be self-expressed in ways that, you know, maybe I haven't been before to help others. Right. And before you know it, you're making podcasts and you're speaking and you're doing all these other things that really you might not have even been able to really get that juiciness out of most of those acting jobs. Right. You know, and I think the why is kind of what I call the thesis statement for your life. And so you make the thesis statement for your life. And then as long as everything can go through that filter mm -hmm. and appropriately can pass through because it fits in there, then you're good. You're on purpose. But something that's so interesting that you talk about is how if your why is attached to something outside of you, you're never going to achieve the success you want. Or even if you do, it's going to feel empty. And it's so true because every time in my life I've been attached to an outcome that was like ego based, I either haven't gotten the thing or I've gotten the thing and panicked because it just wasn't right. Can you explain why that is? And what's an example of something that is within you versus outside of you for a why? So uh, let's start with the internal and external part. People like to look at the external, external motivations like, I'm going to be on the top of that chart, right? Or even, again, the parents want me to do this, so I better do it, you know, get that, that reinforcement there. So when we do things that are for these external goals, they are not truly feeding who we are, this authentic self, right? The authentic self, being in touch with who you really are is so critical and so difficult in this world because of the, all the stuff we've talked about before. When you're a little kid, you are completely authentic to who you are. You'll say anything, you'll fart at the dinner table, it doesn't matter. But as you get older, the world starts to put this pressure on you, you know, don't do that, don't think that way, you know, you look ridiculous when you do this, you know, all these kinds of things. So we start to conform to the social world around us so that we can fit in and get some love out of it and hopefully move forward in some ways. And we do have to fit into the social world in some ways, right? You have to be a certain way at work, right? To some extent. But if you go too far in these directions of inauthenticity, you're going to create pain for yourself because it's only going to be a matter of time before you lose the connection to yourself when you don't know who you are anymore, what you love anymore, what drives you. And when that happens, you know, that's, that's pain, right? You're living a life that isn't yours. And unfortunately, I, I feel like that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, you talk also about people who haven't found their purpose yet, but what I'm kind of getting from this conversation, because my associate producer, I go back to Emily, like just recently found what she feels is like her passion in life. It's production. But up until that point, she said when she would hear the word passion, she would get triggered by it because she didn't know. And she was searching desperately. But it almost feels like you should find your life's why first and then find your passion because a lot of different things could be your passion as long as they're feeding into that why. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of ways to go to express that why. You know, you could be an author, you could be a speaker, you could be a teacher, all these kinds of different things. If you want to communicate your truth to others, let's just say. 
if you don't know what is driving that, you don't have the options. You don't even understand how many options there may be. So, I mean, I'll just look at myself for this. Life coach for creatives. <laughs> I did like, what? What? Like, who is this guy? What is this? And where did this job come from? First of all, I've been like Emily in a lot of ways, in some ways over the years, especially when I was younger, when the parents were like, you must pick a job, pick a major. I mean, it would freaked me out, which by the way, I ended up picking creative writing with perspectives from philosophy, religion, and psychology. And you created your own major, right? I did. I created my own major. Once again, my poor parents, right? <laughs> so by pursuing the path, by just walking forward, moving forward in what feels right, you are going to sort of rarefy your path. When you start to understand your passion and your why, you move forward. And so that's what you were doing with the acting, right? You felt compelled to do the acting. And then for whatever reason, that didn't go as you wanted, but you still had that why. So you just shifted. The path just shifted, but it's, it was really the same why. Yeah. So the real deal is just be true to yourself and do something. Like again, so e like so simple, not always easy. Yeah. Another thing I talk about on the show a lot is creative heartbreak. And you have this quote, you talk about the professional cheaters and liars in the music business and how there was this time when you had basically, if I understand correctly, like three separate deals going that seemed like they would be life-changing deals. And they were, but not for the better. You got to the end of them or whatever, you started living through these deals and they ended up totally breaking your heart and not panning out the way you thought they would. How did you pick up the pieces after that and recover? And what would be your advice for somebody who's in a similar state of creative heartbreak or betrayal? Mm -hmm. Very good question. And yes, that was a death for me. I have had several deaths. I don't know if I'm a you know kitty cat or whatever. Yes. But <laughs> that was definitely one of them because I had worked hard my entire life for that. And I got it. And then it went so shit south. It was unbelievable. So how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, one of the trickiest parts about being an authentic creative is to remember that you are not your work. Ooh, I know, but it really hurts sometimes to remember that. And I need you to tell me how. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm here. <laughs> Just hearing it sent a shudder through my body, Jeff. I got to be honest. <laughs> okay. So when a, let's just say a non-creative, let's say an accountant does their work and if they screw something up, right? And then, you know, it gets figured out somewhere along the line. Hopefully they're going to be like, oh crap, I screwed this up. Sorry. I'm trying to figure out what I did wrong. I'll try to learn from my mistake, you know, that fear of failure or the failure bit. And, and that's it. They most likely will not take it really personally. However, when a creative has the courage to create from that deep and vulnerable place and put that out into the world, that is a real risk. Okay. And just like we were talking about before, the world in general is basically going to do one of three things. They're going to love it. They're going to hate it, or they're not going to care. Most of the time, for most people, it's they're not going to care that much. You're not going to get into the New York Times or Rolling Stone or something, you know, on your first on your first try. Creatives tend to take that response, meaning my work is not valuable, thus I am not valuable. Mm. Right? As opposed to the accountant who's just like, ah, I screwed up these numbers, I forgot to do this and that. And this is a really, really, really common response from creatives of all types, because we do hopefully put in as much love and vulnerability and passion and anger and torment and whatever you got into that song, into that writing or acting or dancing or whatever your thing is. But the trick is to remember that you are not your creation. 
You can have pride in it. You can love it, all those things, but it is not you. So if the world gives you shit, you know, ah, thumbs down, there's that response, right? You'll have that distance. But here's the other side. If you do get a very positive response, that typically feeds one's ego. I'm the greatest. I'm so smart. I'm so creative. I'm awesome. And you can see that that is not good generally for someone's career and definitely for someone's personal world. So keeping that distance is really, is really important. I'll tell you a little story about this from years ago when I was calling all these music supervisors to get, to get on these TV shows. So I put out CDs. Yes, this was when there were CDs and I'm making my call list. I've got, you know, a hundred calls to make or something. So I call this one guy. I'm like, Hey, it's Jeff from electron love theory. Did you listen to my, my songs yet? And he's like, yeah, I listened to them. They're derivative. They're crap. I've heard a million things like this. Please do not ever call me again. And I was like, okay, have a great day. Have a great day. Cross that guy off my call list. Right. Took a breath literally sat there staring at the phone being like wow and i made my next call the next guy had the exact same cd and this guy says oh my god dude this is freaking awesome we're going to license this thing here's money you know sign this blah 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 i'm like okay <laughs> put the phone down from that one and clearly i mean these were literally right next to each other two calls in a row so you know, being the guy that I am, I have to think about this. So what I came up with is, look, both of these guys are right about the music and both of them are wrong about the music. I'm not the greatest thing ever. I'm also not the shittiest thing ever, right? Depends who's listening. Yeah, it's all taste. It's all taste. And on top of that, for me to have an emotional, too much of an emotional response and identify with my music is great, thus I am great, or my music is crap, thus I am crap, is not helpful. So one of the things we always do as a life coach is what is helpful? What is useful? What kind of responses? What kind of action? So that is a way that we can sort of think about how to separate ourselves from our creative works. So that's how you kind of move past that, like all the bad actors that were involved in that deal. You just said, I am not these people. I am not their reaction to my work. I am not my work. And thus I move on and keep creating. Right. Because if you know the why, why you are doing this, the outcome of what you're doing is out of your control. So that's another thing we love to talk about in the life coach world. What is really under your control? Well, guess what? There's actually only three things that you have control of in this life. Your action in the world, what you're gonna do, your reaction to the world, how you're gonna react, and your perception of the world. Everything else, you may have some influence over, but you certainly don't have any control over. Wow. Yeah, it's big. And what people love to do is to get this confused. Like, first of all, why don't you teach this to kids when they're like freaking two years old? If I was in charge, right? <laughs> you should be. <laughs> I nominate Jeff for president. Yeah, yeah thanks. President of what is the question? <laughs> <laughs> so... If you can understand and think about your life and think about where you might be misdirecting your energy from your center of power, one of those three centers of power to something external, right? And then retune that into yourself. You will automatically create more positive change for yourself. So here's an example of this. My boss won't give me a raise. My boss won't give me a raise. I've asked her a thousand times and she won't give me a raise. Okay, guess what? You cannot control your boss. What can you control? Well, geez, I could work harder. I could learn new skills. I could come up with ways to help the company save money or make more money or something like that. If you do those things, 
you will get a raise or you'll get a better paying job somewhere else. Yeah. Right. So it's just centering the power. So you always want to think in your action in the world as you just look around and especially when you feel powerless, how am I giving my power away and how can I center it back? It's mm, a great prompt. Um, okay. Can we talk about the power of visualization? Cause you also gave some incredible tips in the book about visualizing and, and in ways I hadn't heard of before. Mm -hmm. So what, what were the ways that you hadn't heard before? Well, so you, you said basically like, okay, let's say I want to be an amazing dancer and I have a friend who's an incredible dancer. So I close my eyes and I picture my friend dancing. And then what I understood was I see her dancing. I see all the movements and then I transpose my face onto her body and then I'm becoming her movements. And suddenly I'm a better dancer. And you said you had done something similar when you were trying to learn this bass riff that you had written for a song you were doing. Right. I don't know if I got that exactly right. So could you walk us through what that is? Absolutely. You got that mostly right. <laughs> I like it. So the idea is, again, first, you need to get quiet, like get into that quiet space, breathe, do that meditation, whatever it takes for you to do. You can do it while you're walking around in the woods or something like that. You know, anything goes. But you get into that quiet space. Then you think about the skill or the outcome that you want in your life. Okay. So once you got that, then you think of either a person you know who has achieved this or someone else, you know, in the media sphere or whatever that also has achieved this, whichever one doesn't really matter. And you watch them in your mind doing what they're doing. What have they done? What do they do? What is going on with them to get into that space where they have achieved the thing. Okay. So that's kind of like step one. Step two, is to take your energy, your sort of yourself and overlay it. And you can certainly put your face on there, but you don't have to. You just need to take your energy and sort of move it into the being of the other person who is doing the thing. When you do that, it's gonna open up a whole different level of understanding about what they're doing. Right. It's like watching someone or talking to someone. There's a whole different level of of what's happening there. Once you're inside this concept of a successful person doing the thing that you want to do, feel into it, feel into their mind, feel into their timeline, meaning what did they do in the past? What are they doing in the present? And, and what are they shooting for in the future, as well as in their body? Like notice what is going on. Is there something that you can learn from that as well as their heart, right? I'm always big on the heart. What is driving them, mm. right? You take all this and you just kind of like gently bring it back to yourself and infuse it into your own mind, heart, and body. And when you do this, you're essentially, you know, I don't know how woo-woo you are. Very. I just had a psychic medium on last week, so I'm in, in the deep end here. Oh, you should have told me that in the beginning. <laughs> I could have ratcheted the whole thing up. Um, but, you know, you're, you're psychically connecting out of time to this wisdom and bringing it back to yourself where you can then access it with your actions, thoughts, and, and heart motivation. Mm. It's a really powerful thing. I, I do that one tons of times with clients too. And it always works. They always, always get information that they did not understand or know before. It's fascinating. How much time should you give yourself to do something like that? Can it be a five minute thing or is it more of a 15 or 30 minute thing? Well, I don't think you're going to get too far in five minutes. I would definitely think at least 15 minutes. But what you really want is to not feel pressure to end it, right? It's like, if I gotta go in 15 minutes, you're, you know, obviously parts of you are gonna be thinking, oh my God, hurry up, right? <laughs> you can't hurry up when you're on the time machine. <laughs> the, the time machine expands through time and space, but we want to take the time in the 3D world to connect with that more deeply. So I would just say, you know, leave yourself at least a half an hour. Yeah you know, and then just do it. And really remember to get into that quiet space. It's really helpful. 
And speaking of time, I'm always curious with creatives about rest. You do so many different things. You are a multi-passionate creative out in the world, teaching and coaching and making music and making movies and doing all these different things. How important do you think it is to rest in order to create? And do you take time off? Yes, yes, and yes. The last chapter of the book is FA. So my my big acronyms are NFA, not effing around, and FA. Effing around. Effing around, right? (laughs) So it is absolutely critical that we do not work ourselves to the bone, right? Sometimes you might have to do it. You got some deadline or something like that. But the truth is, if you can really tune out, turn off, and not try to make change in the world, that is kind of one of my definitions of work, making change in the world. So if your thing is, I just want to lay here and watch TV all day Sunday, you know what? If that charges you up, go for it. If it's walking in the woods, you're not making any change. You're not trying to exert your will into the world. You're just walking around. Any of these things is going to fill you up, recharge you, rejuice you, and in fact, is likely to help you connect again with your higher self so you get more wisdom and truth when you're not even trying. So then when it's Monday morning or when it's you know time to do this, do your thing again, you have energy and focus and this renewed vitality. And you will do better work. It will be more aligned with who you are. Your creativity will flow better, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's critical. Jeff, I adore you. I could speak to you for 1500 hours. You're going to have to come back because we just scratched the surface, but I do have a final question and it's attached to the inner child, which I know I believe you believe is deeply connected to our creative selves and our creativity. I believe it's where all the answers are. So I'm wondering if you and little Jeff (laughs) were standing in the same room Mm -hmm. and looking at each other, what do you think he would say to you now and why? Great question. What would little Jeff say now? Well, first you'd be like, geez, man, you're so old. (laughs) But in terms of the creativity, I think the little Jeff, or even, you know, I'll fast forward it a little bit, the teenage Jeff would be really blown away. Because when I dreamed at those young ages of creating you know, of writing and of music and photography and all these things that I've really been into since then, I literally could not have dreamed of the level of skill that I've, you know, created within myself, the amazing adventures and connection with other creatives, you know, with audiences, like all that kind of stuff. So I think the young Jeff would be both amazed and know that this is possible. Mm. And what would you say to him and why? I would say basically what I've been saying to all you guys right here, trust your heart, know your heart, know your truth, and be bold, be courageous. The world will try to fuck with you. There's no doubt about that. And sometimes you get knocked down and it's pretty hard. Take a breath, learn from it, know your truth, know your why, and just keep going. Because at the end of the day, we're all in the grave. And it's what story are you writing with your days on earth? You want to write a freaking awesome story. Oh, Jeff, I got chills. I adore you. Thank you so much for all you do for creatives and for the time you spent with me and my amazing listeners. And, you know, I end every show with telling them I believe in them. Would you want to do that with me? Yeah. Okay. So I just say, I believe in you. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. I believe believe in in you. you. Yay. Jeff, thank you. Bless you. You're amazing. Thank you. You're amazing. This was so fun. And just thanks for being on here. And thank you for doing all that you do. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my amazing guest, Jeff Lizowitz. Just so you know, Jeff has been kind enough to offer a free complimentary starter session to you, my listener. So for more information on his private sessions, you can go to his website, 
jefflizowitz.com. His book is called Not Effing Around, so definitely check that out wherever good books are found. It's on Amazon and all the places. You can also follow him at NFAJeff on Instagram. Thanks so much to Unleash associate producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to my friend Liz Full for this show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend, which really helps, word of mouth, and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso, at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and at NFA Jeff so he can share too. And if you share it, I will repost to express my gratitude. My wish for you this week is that you take time to find your why. Make it the thesis statement for your life and let that guide your creative journey and life as a whole. If you do that, then you're always in line with your purpose. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.